Friends, one of the things that the mystery box just reminds us of is that there, there is mystery in life and that God's love is considered this mystery, not like a mystery that gets figured out like a puzzle, but something that we continue to um, rediscover again and again and again and grow deeper into. Um, and that nothing is a mystery to God. Whoever brings the mystery box, they know what's in it. They know the contents of it. They might not know what's going to happen with it, but they know what it is. In the same way, uh, God's love and the ways in which God works in and through our lives is a mystery to us. And yet there are things that are not total mysteries. It's not um, a mystery that's meant to be confusing or left without clues. And so we turn to the scriptures um, today and every day. Today to Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. We turn to the scriptures as the rule of faith and life that we can continue to grow and learn and understand and trust in God's perfect love for us and so that we can grow in our faithfulness just as um, whoever does the mystery box doesn't actually know what's going to be in it but we're given something to make the most of. We are given a calling by God and we receive it and then we seek to make the most of it. So we'll be in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 20 today. And as is our custom, after we read God's word together, we'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and we'll invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. But as we've gone through this uh, summer series, we've been in Ephesians, going steadily through it, and we've um, now gotten to a point where this is how, you know, kind of the, uh, we're, we're, we're into the middle of how shall we live? How shall we live into this faith that we have been given as a gift? So before we read God's word together, let's pray. God, may your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May you give us light for the darkness in our lives. May you give clarity to confusion. May you give confidence where there is hesitation. May all of this be done in our hearts and in our lives through your Holy Spirit's work, both within the word and in bringing the word to us and helping us to dwell in your word. So God, we thank you for the gift of the scriptures. May you open them to us this morning in such a way that we may hear from you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 15 and going through verse 20. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Making the most of every opportunity. 
is one of the phrases that jumps out to me in this passage, and it's, it's one that I think we can do well to hold on to and to dwell with. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, we're going to get to a point where I would say to make the most of every opportunity, both with our effort and trusting in God's faithfulness, the phrase that, that we'll arrive at and unfold it would be a patient urgency. But for now, let's just start with the, 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 the base of it, making the most of every opportunity. What does that look like in another area of life to help us understand what does that look like when we live before God? Because, I mean, this could be complicated. This is all of our life, both our individual life, every aspect and facet of your life that you live, and communally, as the body of Christ, as North Holland, how do we make the most of every opportunity together? If, in a different way, if Jesus were living your life, your occupation, your family, how would Jesus live your life? How would Jesus make the most of every opportunity? And do we find ways to, to imitate and emulate what we believe Jesus would do as a faithful living of our life? That can get pretty big. I, I, the word I would use would be ethereal, kind of out, out there. It can be big and hard to wrap our minds around. But maybe there's a way that we can understand this in a little bit more concrete way. Anyone ever gone to an amusement park? Disney World, Cedar Point, Six Flags Great America, if you grew up in Northwest Indiana. Um, there is another one in Indiana, but the whole phrase of there's more than corn in Indiana, eh, yeah, there is, but Six Flags Great America was better. Disney, Cedar Point, um, any Six Flags, any of the amusement parks we go to. How do you make the most of every opportunity when you're there? You would, because, because once again, not to make any accusations about the, to say that we would necessarily be cheap people by stereotype, but maybe some of us would want to make the most of every opportunity. If you pay to get into a park, you are going to do as much as you possibly can. You are going to go on as many rides as you can. You're going to see as much as you can. You will make the most of every opportunity because you paid to get into the park. You will not waste this opportunity. You absolutely have to make the most of it. Now, in the amusement park analogy, I'd say we're doing this to make our money's worth. I remember going to Six Flags Great America as a kid and being both hyped up on adrenaline and sugar and also exhausted, and we would not stop. There was no stopping the DeVries family. It was off one ride and into the line for the next because we had to make the most of every opportunity. And I remember one year, we calculated how much it cost us to ride each ride we went on if we took how much it cost to be at the park for the day versus how many rides we got to go on. I don't know if that made me a little bit pathological about making the most of every opportunity, but I can tell you when the DeVrieses go to Disney, we are going to make the most of every opportunity. You see as much as you can. You need to make the most of it because we're trying to make it worth it. You wouldn't pay to get into the park, however much it might cost, and then find a bench and sit and just enjoy the day sitting on the bench at the park. There's nothing morally wrong with sitting at Six Flags or Cedar Point or Disney. There's nothing morally wrong with just sitting there letting the day go by. 
But is it making the most of every opportunity? Is it making it worth it? I would say not. Unless you're my dad who despises roller coasters and always was the bag holder and he always found a way to sit next to a stand that was selling turkey drumsticks. He made the most of every opportunity in his own way and the rest of us had to take Dramamine because the DeVrieses weren't stopping. We make the most of every opportunity. In one sense, we would say we need to get our money's worth. That is a phrase that I'm sure more than just my family grew up. We've got to get our money's worth. Make the most of every opportunity because you paid for it, and so you want to redeem the time. And in fact, if we think about this spiritually, if we think about the life that we live, that if we understand and receive the gospel, that, that Jesus Christ has freed us from our sins, that we live not with guilt and shame and condemnation, but that we live with new life within us, that we live with the joy of Christ in our hearts, that was bought at a price. Jesus paid that price on a cross, on the cross for us. He paid for our redemption. And so it is a matter of faithfulness that we make the most of every opportunity because Jesus has paid for our lives. We have been redeemed, and now the matter of faithfulness is we seek to redeem every moment in the best possible way that we can. It would not do us well, it would not honor Christ if we were to sit on the bench, so to speak, after what he has paid for us paying the price for our redemption. And in fact, the word here, um, if you break down verse 16, this making the most of every opportunity, the making the most of is actually an economic word. It's a word for transaction. It is a word for buying. Buy the most out of every moment would be a very literal way to say it. To make the most of it is to redeem the times. Not to waste time, but to recognize that our time has been bought with a price, with the blood of Christ, and so we want to make it worth it. As a child, well, we had to eat a whole bunch of, we had to read 600 minutes and then we got a free token to go to Six Flags Great America, but still, when you're a child, your parents pay for you to go to the amusement park and you want to honor what they have paid by making the most of every opportunity making the most of your time there. Jesus has bought us, and we have a limited amount of time on this earth. There is an opening of the gates when we are born, and there is a closing down of the park when we die. Jesus has bought this time for us, and so we would honor Christ by making the most of every opportunity. It is to redeem the times, and throughout the Old Testament, particularly the wisdom books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs as well, but focusing on Ecclesiastes, there is a vein of Old Testament wisdom about redeeming the times. We don't have total control over what happens in life. Things happen unexpectedly. As we think about our RCOF students and leaders headed to Alaska, we pray for things to go according to plan. And if life or circumstance throws a curveball, we pray that they will be wise to make the most of every opportunity and for the panic moments to be brief or non-lived or not, not at all, short-lived. We make the most of time. We redeem the time that we have. We want to fill it up, 
not to where we're busy to the point of being frantic, but that life is full and well-lived with abundance and with joy. Make the most of every opportunity. Redeem the times. Make your moments worth it. Because what kind of days are we living in? Verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That can be a bit daunting, but I also think for us, it can be comforting to be reminded that the Apostle Paul in Ephesus 2,000 years ago said, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't go through life pining for what was. Don't go back and wish, oh, the good old days, whatever decade or time period you want to identify. Longing for the good old days is to live life in a non-redeeming way. It's not making the most of our time if we go through all of life that we're never looking ahead to what's next. We are only wishing for what was. Now, there is grief, there is lament, there is loss, and Scripture gives us ways. We have psalms and prayers that, that we need to grieve loss, but to wish that we could go back and live again whatever we consider our glory days is false and dishonoring. There were a very short-lived number of good old days on the earth, and they happened in Genesis 2, and they ended about halfway through Genesis 3. The good old days were short-lived, but the best of days is yet to come, when Christ shall return and make all things new. But in the meantime, between now and wherever Jesus comes to close down the park and make room for the after-party of his kingdom fully here, we are to make the most of every opportunity, making our time redemptive and worth it in what we do, in how we serve, in how we use our hands, in how we spend our time, in where we apply our minds, in where we give our gifts. In all of this, the days are evil. This is not about longing for what was, but this is about redeeming the times even more so because the days are evil, because as Juliana worked us through in our confession and assurance, because we live in a world of confusion and mistruth and lies and being self-centered. The days are evil, which for us as Christians, if you're looking to follow Jesus faithfully, means we've got work to do. Don't just sit on the bench on the sidelines. Is there time for the occasional turkey drumstick on the bench if you're Bill DeVries? Absolutely. But not to sit out the day and to let the day go by without any participation or joy. Paul goes on to say, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And I just want to verify that when he says, don't get drunk, and then says, be filled with the Spirit, that is, in fact, one of the only New Testament puns that is made. Be full of one thing, not the other. Don't waste time on that which offers nothing. Don't be led astray for things that will help you cease to make the most of every opportunity. We've got work to do. Don't just sit on the sidelines. Don't let the time be wasted. Speaking to one another, rather, with things that are pleasing to the Spirit, and also finding ways to give thanks. We give thanks in verse 20. We give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
we give thanks, even though the days are evil. We don't wait for the days to be good to give thanks. We make the most of every opportunity. We redeem the times, even though the days are evil, and we give thanks while doing it. This is a peculiar way to live life, to be aware that we live in a time of evil, and yet to still find ways to give thanks. This is the difference between sitting on the bench, arms crossed, grumbling about all the things wrong with the world. This would also be a way to not redeem the times or to make the most of every opportunity. But rather, we move forward giving thanks. And as we seek to redeem time, I believe God gives opportunity for us. And in those moments that we can make worth it, those things that give you a satisfied kind of tired, things that are truly good, things that we hope and pray for RCYF to experience, um, not this week, but next week and the 10 days that follow, that the opportunities will be full and good and that what we learn there may be brought back to make the most of. We live in the United States, a land of opportunity. We celebrate Independence Day today. With all of the opportunities and freedoms, the question becomes, what will you do with it? How do you make the most of that which you've been given? And it's a reminder on days like today, as we both read this text and observe the holiday that we celebrate, that we don't take for granted that which we have. One of the biggest things that I still think from the time when everything was shut down that we missed was just the amount of connection. When we have something gone, then we truly miss and realize how much we appreciated it. And how much then are we called to make the most of the opportunities that come back? If we are to do this with thanksgiving, not with begrudging, but with thanksgiving, with joy, with satisfaction and celebration that Christ has purchased our lives and that we are to redeem the time that we have been given, hopefully we do so with a patient urgency. A patient urgency. Not frantic, that we can never sit down, that we can never stand still, that we, we can't take a moment of rest, because in fact, patient urgency, this call from God, reminds us that Sabbath is part of God's rhythm for us. Rest and unplugging to recharge, to renew, to refresh, to recenter ourselves. Sabbath is still part of God's rhythm, even as we make the most of every opportunity. So when you see those words, when you think about making the most of every opportunity, don't confuse that with being frantically overbusy and overcommitted and stretched too thin. If it doesn't leave room for rest, it is not a pattern that has come from God. God's pattern gives Sabbath rest. It has to, but rather patient urgency is to not miss the moment to speak a word into someone's life, is to not pass up the opportunity to get to know a coworker is to not let idly sit by an opportunity to serve in a way that fits you and your gifts well. Patient urgency, one of the places in scripture that I go to to remind myself of what this patient urgency means and what redeeming the times might look like would be Pharaoh and Joseph. When Joseph in the Old Testament had a gift for interpreting dreams, Pharaoh was given a dream that he did not understand. And it ultimately was interpreted by Joseph that, that these seven 
fat cows were walking down by the river, and then seven lean ones, seven gaunt, thin, kind of not ready for auction type of cattle, not the ones that the Morin Crops and Agriculture's company would sell. Some really good-looking cows were then consumed, like eaten by the thin ones. Well, that'd be a weird dream. And Joseph interpreted it for Pharaoh and said, there's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of abundance and fullness, seven years where where the grain is spilling off of the wagons into the tracks. And then there's going to be seven years of famine, seven years of scarcity, seven years of loss. And so we, as Egyptians, as Joseph was living in Egypt as an Egyptian, we need to make the most of every opportunity that over these next seven years, we need to store up, we need to build up, we need to be ready for the years that will come. That is patient urgency. This was seven years in the making. Do you have some big plans for 2028? Are you thinking seven years in advance? Now, some are, if there's like retirement goals to make, there's checkpoints. I'm not saying we don't have those types of goals. But to think through seven years of looking ahead was a patient urgency. And it meant they were going to make the most of every bountiful harvest to be ready. And they did. And Egypt prospered under Joseph's direction through God's hand to provide for the nations because they made the most of every opportunity. It was a patient urgency. They couldn't speed up time. They probably didn't plant things that they had never planted before. Agricultural developments were pretty slow and steady for a few centuries. But rather, with patient urgency, they followed season after season. So when we hear make the most of every opportunity, I don't think it means that every one of us needs to quit what we're doing and go overseas or abandon our day job and and join a mission. But I do think our patient urgency can be found in the everyday rhythms, in what might be the unexciting drudgery of life, but that that drudgery and routine mixed with Sabbath rest will provide opportunity. It is both patient and urgent because we are not required to complete the work that God has for us. That will be ongoing and beyond our comprehension, but neither are we free to abandon it. The days are evil. This adds urgency to sharing good news. The days are selfish. This adds to our urgency to share Christ's selfless love. The days are hurried. There is an urgency that also requires patience and that we don't miss up the opportunities when they appear. So, maybe we imagine our lives a little bit like making the most at an amusement park, but also there's times where you're waiting in line. You're at rest. You're waiting for the next thing to happen with a patient urgency, with the excitement and hope of what is to come, with the satisfaction of what was, and also with a faith and trust that God is still at work that it's not just what we do, but it is the faithful response of what God does through us when we are seeking to redeem our time here on this earth. Make the most of every opportunity. For the days are evil, but we will always be giving thanks to God the Father for everything 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A missionary that we got to spend some time with um, this past week shared a story with me that I'd like to close with for what patient urgency can look like as they make the most of every opportunity. Dan tells the story of uh, sitting with a friend that he knows through his work at his mission. And the, he asked the friend, you know, what, what do you hope to be like in five to ten years? And the response was, I, I hope to be less selfish. It's a very virtuous goal. And Daniel responded with patient urgency, not to miss the moment, but also not to pounce on it either, but with patient urgency. He said, ah, I have learned the secret to selflessness. I'd like to tell you about it sometime. And that was the end of their meeting time. He said, why don't you come over to my, if you'd really like to know the secret to selflessness, come over to my house sometime. And so one day they did and he arrived. And making the most of every opportunity, Daniel just offered the moment again, just, just waiting to see if it would be picked up on. And nothing came of it. And so he waited with patient urgency until again his friend asked him the second time he was in his house, not even the first time, it was not pushed, it was not frantically offered. Daniel, you mentioned that you learned the secret to selflessness. What is it? And then Daniel was able to share the secret to selflessness is Jesus who gave of himself, all of himself for us in perfect selflessness. If you want the cure to selfishness, it's following Jesus. It's learning to give of yourself. Patient urgency. Not forcing the moment, not pouncing or breaking down the doors, but with patience and with urgency and with an awareness, not missing the moment, not letting pass by that which could be a holy moment to share Jesus with someone else. And within our own fellowship, to not lose sight or to forget about giving thanks for all things, giving thanks to God for what has been done. My friends, make the most of every opportunity, not missing the moment, but rather slowly, steadily, with patient urgency, redeeming the time that we have on this earth until Christ calls us home or returns to make all things new from the time the park opens till the time the park closes. Let's redeem the time that we have. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray.